0: Thanks, Ben. And I'm going to move this. I'm still not used to this screen on the side. I'm so used to this screen, though. Um, but in time, I'm sure I'll get used to that one. But um, but you guys, I'm sure you're loving that screen. Um, yeah, anyway. So we are going to start our new series today. Um, it's, it's the 40 Days of Redeeming Love. And um, last week, if you were here last Sunday, uh, we were handing out these booklets. They're still available in the front if you haven't picked up your paper copy. But there's also e-copies, which we mentioned in the announcements. Um, we're exploring this letter, um, First John, um, started on Wednesday. If you're following the booklet, um, so every week for the week of, uh, for the for Lent season, for seven weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to be exploring a different passage from First John. And um, the same passage that you read daily throughout the week, you're letting it sink in, you're meditating on God's word, you're chewing into it, and you're really, you know, really uh, reading into it. And um, come on the Sunday, um, we'll be presenting and um, the sermon more about it so that you get like, oh, even even more meat. Um, but uh, yes, you can still start now, even if you didn't start on Wednesday. But uh, for this week, we are going to be looking at uh, 1 John 1. And um, it's quite quite a nice um, introduction to to begin with, partly because um, it's a really good book, actually. Uh, We really like this book, and there's a lot of content um, to to bite into. Um, It's it's been said that uh, most people agree that the author of this book is the same author as Gospel of John. Um, We know this because it's similar style and similar words used as Gospel. Gospel of John. Um, It was written in a time when there was a lot of dodgy theology. So spoiler alert, uh, later on in the few weeks to come, we'll be talking about uh, Antichrist and uh, false prophets and incorrect teachings. So stay tuned. But but we do know that there's so much authority in this book um, because it's a letter um, written by John with the uh, influence of the Holy Spirit guiding him But there's a lot of cross-references that uh, we we will also be doing today and throughout the next couple of weeks, um, fact-checking throughout the Bible. um, But yes, anyway, so chapter one, he starts his letter by identifying himself, John, as a key eyewitness to Jesus when he was alive on earth. Um, So this is um, 1 John 1, verses 1 and 2. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him, and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. So John was an eyewitness to Jesus' life. Um, He heard Jesus speak. He saw him perform miracles. He even touched him. Maybe he saw the holes in his hands after Jesus resurrected. Um, But these two verses is very similar to the beginning of the Gospel of John. It says in John's Gospel, um, in the beginning, the the word already existed. The word was God. The word was with God, and the word was God. And then he existed in the beginning with God. And the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. So that's really cool. So basically, Jesus existed with God the Father. He is the word of life. The word, or Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, as it says in um, one, um, John 1.14, in NLT version, it's not on there, but it says, um, so the word became human, or became flesh, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So, 1 John 1, verse 1 and 2, um, he is pretty much the word of life. Um, this one who is life itself was revealed to us. So he came into being and we, we, we saw him, we met him, um, and we have seen him. Um, he is the, he is the one who was eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. The word life is uh, pretty much um, evident here. Um, life was made manifest, revealed, shown, and the word became human flesh, um, this is basically, in a nutshell, God's fullest embodiment of speech. Um, this is God speaking to his people through Jesus, okay? This is, Jesus, this is God coming to earth and speaking to us directly. Um, and through Jesus, we know that we have new life. Um, if you skip forward to chapter 5, uh, 1 John 5, um, basically in, in verses 11 and 12, it says, And this is what God has testified He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. So this gift of life, basically Jesus is eternal life. He is the one who is eternal life. And Jesus was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us, became human. So this is very much real. John heard and saw him and touched him, and he is proclaiming and testifying and speaking to us. Um, but the reading, one John uh, 3 to 1, one John, one, three to four, uh, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. So basically John's telling us that he has seen and heard and so we we can have fellowship together with one another. Our fellowship is with God and also with others. But the question here that I wanted to ask this morning is what is fellowship? What does fellowship even mean? Um, we know that, uh, you know, our church, we, we do have different fellowship groups. We've got student fellowship. We've got young adults. We've got mums. Um, we've got dads. We've got different groups. We've got families. They all have, you know, like life groups, fellowship groups. Um, we've got other fellowships in the, um, the Chinese sides as well. But what is fellowship exactly? Um, fellowship with others, fellowship with God basically starts off with um, when you're talking about fellowship with others, we know that it can be a social time with others, it can be with brothers and sisters connecting with each other, a place where you can be built up and encouraged, a place where you can you know, just grow together, have a good time, maybe there's food, maybe um, there's not, maybe there's cups of tea. Um, but basically, there's chit-chat time and there's a sense of coming together and sharing life together. But it's more than that. It's not just, you know, a social gathering. It's non-Christians actually have social gatherings. They, they call that hanging out. They call it hanging out at a pub or a club or a pub crawl or a grub crawl or mums and tots group um, or a book club. Um, but as Christians, we're, we're, we're kind of different, actually, by that when we have fellowship, it's having that accountability. Um, the key word here is accountability, which, which is very closely connected to a fellowship. It's being in each other's lives, getting into the nitty gritty of it all. And it's sharing in this life together um, that you have as Christ, as your common goal. We're all striving towards Christ together. And you want your brother and sister to also strive closer to Christ as well. It's the delights of coming together, worshiping God together. It's talking and sharing and being open and not hiding secrets from one another. It's sharing joys, it's sharing praises, prayer requests, um, but it's, it's coming together and being part of this joy, joy that we have in Christ. And that's just like what John says here, that he wants us you know, to share also in the same joy too. Um, it's sharing and doing life together, being in Christ together. This community, a family of brothers and sisters together, and our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful and exceptional thing. I think even for me, um, the one thing that attracted me to Christianity, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, was that sense of fellowship, that acceptance that I've, I've been accepted into this body of believers. And they love me um, despite all my flaws and despite all my issues. Um. And that is a great representation of how much God loves us um, when we, as a fellowship, when we accept uh, other people into our community. Um, and this is a great demonstration of our relationship with God, um, just, just to be accepted and to have that fellowship. And even when we have um, issues with our relationship with God as Christians, we might be feeling distant. We might be feeling distant from um, spending time with him. Being in this community actually encourages us. Um, we can build each other up, this, this connection there. If our relationship with other human beings are a bit rocky, we have God who also helps encourage us as well. And so basically it's, it's like God has, have, has us all covered um, in the fellowship aspect. We have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with one another. And he says in verse 3, we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. There is tremendous joy in knowing God and experiencing fellowship with him and experiencing fellowship with one another. It's, it's, it's how I would like to describe it as this triangle. Uh, you know me. I like my diagrams. Um, and it's basically when we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with others as well. And others have fellowship with God too. Um, we have this thing, and we all share in it together um, this thing called life and um, and it's, and it 's incredible because you know we all grow together, we all want to strive closer to get closer to God, and um, when you struggle, you know other people can help you when other, when you see other people struggling, you can help them too, but that is that connection there it 's this, this illustration of a diagram here, the triangle reading on um, one John one five to seven. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what we learn from these verses here is that the very being of God is light. In him, there's absolutely no darkness whatsoever. God is bright, pure, without sin, without any untruths. But this verse tells us that if we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we're called liars. We're not practicing the truth. And the implication here is that If you have fellowship with God, it is basically implied that you are united to him in the light. Therefore, you cannot be in two places at once. You can't be standing in the darkness, but yet claiming to be in the light. If you basically, if you say we belong to God and we're born again, Christians. um, And yet we walk in darkness. We're, we're liars. So what is this darkness? This, um, this darkness thing. Um, we all know what darkness means. Um, we all know that darkness, for me, okay, so I learned this uh, at the very start when I first moved to Birmingham. Um, I had moved in, and about three weeks into my stay, I was, well, I found someone who knew someone who knew someone who had a spare room. This was before. Um, uh, I moved in with Jing, and Jing was Jing and Steve were looking for a place uh, to buy, and we were still waiting, and so I had to live temporarily somewhere and um, basically knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who had a spare room that I could temporarily stay in. And three weeks into my stay, the place got broken into in the middle of the night, and it was really scary because for me, I've never had any break-ins or burglaries before. and um, And when you get your place broken into, it's a sense of your house is been, um, your space has been violated. Um, someone has come in and someone has stolen, um, things. Thankfully none of my stuff was stolen. Um, but, but it was, it was so scary because we basically woke up and then the front door and the back door was wide open. Things were smashed. Um, the place was a mess. Um, but then what happened was I called the police. Um, the lady that was renting the room to me, um, she was away in China, but her sister was also in the house when it happened. But it turned out that this, from this one incident, um, th- the lady in China told me to lie to the police and say, oh, actually, don't, 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 don't tell them that... Um, we sublet this room to you. I was like, what? You sublet this room to me? Basically, they weren't meant to sublet to me. Um, but basically, they were telling me to lie and say that I was a relative, um, that she was my auntie and blah, blah, blah. And that, you know, they didn't want the agency to know anything about this. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then on top of that, the police were telling me, oh, you need to check that, you know, the burglars haven't stolen any car keys because, you know, chances are they'll steal the car keys and they'll come back later for the car and and steal the car. And so... Um the, the, the auntie told me, well, the, the, the sister in um, China told me to go into her room and see if the car keys were in there. I went into the room and lo and behold, there was this human-sized idol in the room um, of, of Guniam, um this um, this Chinese goddess. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I need to get out of this house. This house is just like one thing after another, one thing after another. And it's, it's such a dark, it felt like a dark place. And I'm just like, yep welcome to Birmingham three weeks in. Um, but thankfully, you know, I managed to move out and, um, but, but that was, that gave me a sense of like, oh my gosh, this place is like quite a dark place. Um, not only so at night, that first night after the break-in, I really struggled to sleep. I struggled to sleep with the light lights off. Um, I, even any sounds and noises in the house, it would just startle me. Um, but, but what about spiritual darkness? That was a physical darkness, spiritual darkness. Um, based on this passage alone, um, we can work it out with with this way. Basically, if there's darkness, there's an absence of light. So there's no light. And if God is light and there's absence of light, then darkness equals absence of God. There is no God in, in the darkness there. And if there's an absence of God, there's an absence of holiness, no holiness, which is basically sin. And then spiritual darkness... Um, There's there's going to be an absence of truth. There's no truth, therefore lies. And so if Jesus or the words became flesh just so that you you and I can have eternal life, without Jesus, there's an absence of Jesus. That's the absence of life. So basically no life. Therefore, spiritual darkness means death. And we all know that when it's dark, there's a sense of chaos and you can't see anything. You're completely blind. You're lost. You don't know if you'll step into a hole or a ditch. Um, for me at home, I don't know if I'm going to step into a slug because slugs get in. And um, they usually come in. I don't know why they come into the house at nighttime um, when it's so wet and miserable um, outside. But basically, when it's spiritual darkness, on the other hand, it's completely without life. Um, completely without light, completely without God, no holiness, no truth. Spiritual darkness basically leads to death. And I don't know about you, but to me that sounds really, really horrible. And it's it's so like it's not very nice um, just to even look at that. Um, it's not a good thing. We all know that. The Bible is very clear about that. That if we have fellowship with God, we are united to Him in the light. You can't have darkness. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it reads that um, the Word gave life to everything that was created. Here it is. And His life brought light to everyone. The Word gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. Brought light to you and me. His Word, who became flesh, Jesus, gave life to everything. His life, Jesus' life, brought light to everyone. And it's saying that light is by far more powerful than darkness. John 8, 12 says, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The key word here is follow me. So we're to follow Jesus. John 12, 36, Jesus said, believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. Well, we have the chance to believe in Jesus, believe in him, believe in the light. And Ephesians 5.8, Paul writes, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. But you want to know what the cool thing is? If you listen to this, 1 John 1.7 basically says, But if we are living in the light and God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So basically, if you live in the light, you have fellowship with God and you have fellowship with others. Not only so, when you live in the light, the blood of Jesus, the powerful blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin, from all that darkness. Um, With Jesus' blood, there's so much power but the question is, that I want to ask you is, but if the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all our sin, once that's happened, are we then sinless? Are we without sin? Basically, if we are sinless, there wouldn't be any sins to cleanse. So if we walk in the light as the blood cleanses us from sins, um, we, are we are we sinless? How does that work? What is sin doing in the light? What does it mean that sin... You know, is there? Why, why, why is it that when we are in the light, are we are we sinless? Do we still have sin? What's what's the deal there? Um, does that mean that, you know, there's still sin? What? How does that work? Basically, sin happens when we don't walk in the light. We're told that if, you know, we if we live in the light, we will walk in the light. But if we live in the darkness, there'll be sin. Um, but we're also told in Ephesians five to expose sin. In the light. So when you're walking in the dark, and you you are you know you you are sinning, you have to come back into the light to expose that light. Um, you need to keep coming back to Jesus every day to keep coming back to Jesus, because basically um, to claim to be sinless, that we don't have any sin, the Bible says that we are lying. John says, John isn't actually saying that you must live in the light and be perfect, and that's it. But actually, because if you were perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus, right? Only Jesus was perfect. If we were perfect, it means that we are without sin, no sins that need to be cleansed, and there is no need for Christ then. And if you say that, you basically deceive yourselves. But instead, John is basically saying If you live in the light, you have fellowship with others and fellowship with God, and you bring your sin, which you bring into the light, you expose your sin into the light, through the blood of Jesus, he cleanses us of all our sins. So um, I have used this image before. Oh, no, actually, no, here it is. If you live in the light, it's to fellowship with God, and we have fellowship with others. And not only so, when you live in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. But here's an image that I've used before, and I can't remember where I got it from, um, so I can't reference it anymore. But it's always, in, it's always in the back of my mind, this image, that the more you walk in the light, the more your sin gets exposed. Like, the Holy Spirit is very powerful in in, in convicting you. Um, the more you are close to, to God, the more the Holy Spirit really convicts you and shows you what sins you need to, you know, expose. And um, And through that walking in the light... Jesus cleanses us and our sins because it is very much revealed into the light. So obviously, you know, the, the further you are from Christ, um, the, the harder it is to see, but I feel like, so, so when we know that when you walk in the light, it's, it's very clear, you can't avoid it. Like you will see your sin and you will have to deal with it. Um, and Jesus deals with it. So the act of having fellowship with God and fellowship with others is walking and living In the light. It's having this um, accountability as you do life. The moment you hide the sins in the dark, that's living in darkness. That's not you completely walking and living in the light. So when we Christians walk in the light, our lives will be completely known. We will not contain hidden sins, falsehood, or deception. But this act of walking in the light actually results in deep, divine, human fellowship with one another and deep, divine uh, fellowship with God as well. And it's this act of progressive or continual cleansing from all sin. It's this daily cleansing um, through Jesus' blood. It's daily coming to God and relying on him and fellowshipping with him and with others. So basically, John is saying um, to bring Bring it all into the light and let your blood, let the blood of Jesus cleanse your sin. In one John one eight, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the in the truth. Reading on, um, verses nine and ten. But big but there. Um, if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His word has no place in our hearts. So what John is saying is actually, if we have sins, if we have sinned, if we confess our sins, it's a conditional if. If you admit you have done wrong, the sin in your life, and you come back to God and be like, God, I'm really sorry I failed. I'm sorry I was so passive-aggressive towards my brother. I'm sorry that I was really stubborn and really angry towards him because he wasn't listening to me and I was really shouty. Lord, please forgive me of my sin, my bad attitude, my anger, my resentment towards him. And it wasn't very loving and it wasn't very nice. It's, it's coming to God and confessing, not just saying sorry, not just being like, I'm sorry, God, and that's it. Um, but actually saying sorry because I, I did X, Y, Z. Sorry, um, I, I had this, this, this bad, evil thought. Um, sorry about that action. Sorry about wishing that person unwell or cursing, cursing my, you know, that person in my family under my breath or etc. etc. The, the, the act of confession is so powerful. It's exposing your sin because the sin, if you don't expose it, it will grow and invest, it infest itself within the darkness. It will keep growing and growing, and it will have a root over your life. Um, But once it's exposed into the light, taken out of the darkness and into the light, there is so much power to Jesus because he will actually cleanse you. Um, It says here that if we confess our sins, he is just, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all that wickedness. It says God is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all wickedness. This is repetition from the previous verse. Um, the whole cleansing. Um, when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with Him, with God, and with others. And Jesus' blood cleanses us. All sin is gross and ugly, I'm sure you all know. Sin basically wants to remain hidden. And when a brother and sister keep sinning, they just want to keep being in hiding. It's shameful. It's embarrassing. You don't want people to know. Um, you don't want people to know your browser history you don't want people to know you know you've been you know doing xyz it's a bit shady Um, yesterday I learned a lot about the differences of um, people that do accountants and people that do finance uh, analysts and and people that do auditing and and um, actuary, and I'm like, whoa! Like to me, I always group them all in one category. Like they, they just do numbers. Like I don't know anything about numbers, but but then um, when I learned more, and I was like, oh, that makes sense. That auditors need to check the books of other other businesses and things, and to make sure that these businesses are doing the correct thing and um, according to rules and regulations, and that you know nothing is shady, and that the, you know this company ha- hasn't been channeling funds and um, you know money laundering and things like that. And so sin is basically exposing and, 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 and bringing things into the light. Um, no, sorry, <laughs> we need to bring, confession um, is bringing the sin into the light. There's a really good quote, I love D- Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, you know me, and um, also from the book Life Together, it's a great book, and it's quite a long quote, but, um, but I think it really nails to the point how powerful confession is. Um, so in confession, There takes place a breakthrough to community. Sin wants to be alone with people. It takes them away from the community. The more lonely people become, the more destructive the power of sin over them. The more deeply they become entangled in it, the more unholy is their loneliness. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of what is left and said, sin poisons the whole being of a person. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and closed isolation of the heart. Sin must be brought into the light. What is unspoken is said openly and confessed. All that is secret and hidden comes to the light. It is is a hard struggle until the sin crosses one's lips in confession. It's going to be hard until you make make that happen. You bring the, the sin out into the open. But God breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron, as it says in Psalm 107, um, 16. Since the confession of sin is made in the presence of another Christian, the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. The sinner surrenders, giving up all evil, giving the sinner's heart to God, and finding the forgiveness of all one's sin in the community of Jesus Christ and other Christians. Sin that has been spoken and confessed has lost all of its power. So basically, um, Bonhoeffer says confession is very important. Um, it sometimes we have to confess directly to God ourselves, but it's even like it's amazing when brothers and sisters they confess to one another the 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 sharing with with one another actually i'm really struggling with this um because yeah you can keep saying sorry to god you can keep saying sorry to god but but sometimes you know you and i know that when we keep it to ourselves no one's keeping you accountable like no one here on earth is keeping us accountable and so actually coming to our brothers and sisters um coming to other people um that we have Fellowship with, um, we need to come clean. We need to be like, actually, can you keep me accountable? Can you make sure that I'm not overspending? Can you make sure that I'm not spending into my student loans? Um, can you just check up on me once in a while? Because you know I've brought a crazy amount of trainers recently, and I'm I'm really struggling to make ends meet um, and to to buy food. And you know, it's it's actually coming to one another and be like, can you help me out here? Can you can you keep me accountable? Can you check up on me? Can you make sure that I'm not dying. Um, and basically this is, this is powerful and, and confession is very, very vital in our, in our community, um, to be, to be there. And, and it does say in, in God's word, God is faithful and just to, once we, you know, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and he cleanses us from all wickedness. This act of cleansing, it cost Jesus so much of his life. It cost him so much of his blood. This sin and the shame, whether big or small, we are cleansed through Jesus' blood. It's the power and the redemptive and amazing act of love um, through his blood. So the act of confession is coming before God and saying, God, I need you. I'm so desperate and I need you and I really, really need you and um, forgive me. And um, yeah, I just want I just need to come back to you, God. And he will hear you because he really is faithful and he, and he will forgive you your sins. But you really need to be genuinely um, repentant. Um, you can just say it, but you, 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 there needs to be also part of, you know, you need to actively be seeking after God and coming to him um, with a repentant heart. This image again. Um, so if you walk in the light and you have fellowship with God, you have fellowship with others. When you walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us of sins. When we have fellowship with him and we share in life, there's this deep sense of an ending joy, deep fellowship and connection with him and with others too. And this is new life with him. We have a new life as we, as we come in and walk in the light together. And so 40 days of redeeming love. Um, it, was, it was quite a... Actually, I really like that, you know, us as a church, we can read a scripture together together. Um, like daily, um, for those that you are doing great. But if you're not, that's, that's fine too. Um, but, but it's, it's a sense of just coming together and meditating on God's word. And, um, this Lent season to spend the next 40 days, um, spending every day doing that, having God breathe life into us, um, shines truth and shines light into our lives. It's to say that, you know, to come daily to God, daily reading, it's like a developing a habit, learning to hear from God through his word, um, it's this daily sustenance. Think of it as food. Um, sure, you can go a day or two without eating, um, but I'm pretty sure by a week without food, you're, you're going to be struggling a lot. You'll feel faint. Um, you'll develop this thing with bad breath. Um, you, you, you will need water to survive, of course, but we all need to eat. Um, And here at church, yes, um, we can come each Sunday and have, you know, one of us here on stage hand you a lovely plate of food um, called a sermon. And um, you can feast and gorge upon it, um, God's word being the food. um, And you can pick out on the Sunday, but then go home and not eat daily truths yourself. Um, But actually, this 40 days of redeeming love this is somewhere to start for those that are struggling to have a healthy eating habit with the Lord, um, struggling to hear, struggling to spend time with him. It's our way of encouraging you to eat daily. Um, would love for you to, you know, continue reading other passages. If, if you are, if you have another um, Bible passage, Bible reading thing, like um, some people I know are doing a uh, Bible in a year, um, there's a there's a set pattern there, but it's it's great. This forty days of redeeming love is a great way for us for those that are struggling, um, and it's a good place to start with the rest of the church. And each day, um, forty days of Lenten readings, there's um, these helpful prompts actually to encourage you to focus on certain things. Um, so one of one of them is uh, community, um, and then family or household, and relationship with God. Um, so starting big, community, um, the people. Um, The majority of the people in your life, um, be it workplace or um, people in your neighborhood or people um, in your school or classmates. Um, Next one, family or household. Um, Your next group of people that you live with, um, that you spend a lot of your uh, day-to-day basis with. And then finally, um, your relationship with God. Then the focus of working on your relationship with God. Um, these prompts are to help you in your relationship with God as well, which is also important to have fellowship with God. Um, but with today's chapter chapter one um, in mind, it's so a community, we talked about fellowship with God and fellowship with others. So with that in mind, community, do you have fellowship or accountability with your community? Are you helping keep them accountable, encouraging them, building them up? showing love to them, walking together in the light. Do they have fellowship with God? Do they have people? Do you have people in your community that aren't in the light? Maybe they're in the darkness. And what are you as a Christian going to do about it? So recently, um, Alpha started, and uh, leading up to Alpha, Um, we were trying to promote Alpha a lot. And um, we were trying to, um, we we did a quiz night and that was really fun. But then um, after the quiz, I I sat in the car with Ben as we were going home. and, And I said, Ben, how come we only had like only a few people that came? And then I was like, okay, I can't blame everyone. Okay. They, everybody has their different reasons, but how come I couldn't invite anyone? And I realized it finally dawned on me that I don't actually have any non-Christian friends in Birmingham, which is really scary. And I've been in Birmingham for eight years, and I'm just thinking to myself, "Oh my gosh, how well, how come I don't have any non-Christian friends that I could possibly invite to Alpha?" And then and then I realise, "Oh, I guess it's because I'm working in a in a Christian environment. Um, I'm in a mini Christian bubble." Um, and then when I left this Chinese church Christian bubble, it was to Bible school, also a Christian bubble. Um, With non-Chinese, but they were all Christians. And I'm like, oh, how do I meet non-Christians? I don't really know how to meet non-Christians. And I'm like, but this is really bad. I'm I'm a church leader and I'm not practicing what I preach. I'm telling everyone to go and evangelize and I'm not evangelizing. What, what, what do I do? And then, and then it was really bad because um, I was, I was so upset and I was really like upset with myself. And I came and cried to the Lord and I said, God, do I need to quit my job? And, and and he was like, no, I don't want you to quit your job. Do I need to go part-time? Do I need to part-time work for the church and part-time be a barista and, and like get free coffee, but then also like make friends with my colleagues and, and things like that. And he was like, no, no, there's no time for that. I'm like, okay, there's, the, the harvest is plentiful. The work is a few. Yes. But But then I realized, oh, God was telling me I need to be intentional despite being in this environment. I need to be out there. I need to make friends with non-Christians and, and God, God is always perfect timing. And, um, recently I joined a gym. Um, yes, it's not just a new year's resolution. It started in January. Um, but I realized, oh, I need to be more active, not just in the gym, but in classes because there's regular faces that I see every week in these classes. Um, and they don't know me, and I don't know them. But yet, you know, they, they all stay behind and chat after class. And I'm like, okay, maybe I need to be more intentional and make friends with these non-Christians. Um, so I felt really convicted there. And, and I think, yes, my community here in Birmingham is currently the, the, the Chinese church uh, community. But actually, there's more to that. There's people outside of this little bubble um, for all of us, we also need to be intentional wherever God has put us, um, in our communities to reach out, um, and to shine that light, um, and to encourage them and to be friends and, and bring them, um, into this, you know, this, this lightness, um, with God. And then, um, family is the next one. Um, the focuses in them, the 40 days, Do you have fellowship and accountability with uh, your family members? Are you building them up or are you tearing them down? Side question, why is it that we are a lot more harsher with our family members than with outsiders? Why is it that we are incredibly rude and hostile to each other, push each other's buttons? Um, Is this really helpful? Is this really a good thing? Surely we should be um, demonstrating um, God's love and kindness to, to everyone, including our family members. Are we building them up or are we tearing them down? Do we have fellowship and accountability with them? Do they have fellowship with God? Are they walking in the light? Again, what are you going to do about that? And is there someone in your family you need to confess to and say sorry to and seek reconciliation? And be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, mum, for not um, doing X, Y, Z. I'm sorry that I, you know, I've not been putting my time, you know, putting effort to spend time with you and not listening to you. Um, is there someone in your family you need to confess to and seek reconciliation? And finally, um, your relationship with God. That's one of the prompts in um, the 40 days. Is how is your relationship with God? That is one of those big questions um, that only you and God know. Um, are you really walking in the light and having fellowship with him? Or are you walking in the darkness yet claiming to be in the light, so therefore lying? And what are you going to do about it? Are there sins that you need to come to God and confess? Not just saying sorry, but and that, that be that, but actually coming um, to him and actually truly repenting um, with your whole heart, confessing, sorry, I did X, Y, Z, I mean it, God, and I, I really need you to change me and wash me with your blood. It's coming to God and saying, God, I want to really live for you. I really want to spend time with you. I really want to, you know, not, not be a mediocre Christian anymore, not, not live a double life. Um, saying that I'm a Christian and walking in the light, but really um, being in the darkness and doing shady things. But it's saying, God, I really want to step into the light and, and walk with you. And, um, and I want you to take away my sin and cleanse it with the blood of Jesus. I want fellowship with you, God. I want fellowship with one another, with my brothers and sisters. And I want them to also keep me accountable too. And so with those three things in mind, um, yeah, just to start this, um, the start of 1 John, um, yeah, I encourage you, if, if yeah, you want that, you know, just, just to spend time daily with the Lord. Let us pray, Lord. As we um, yeah, this we start this series of forty days of redeeming love, Father. I just pray that that God, you keep speaking to us every day. Um, I pray, Father God, that may we be people that um, walk in the light, live in the light, live with you, Lord. And I pray, Father God, for the times where, you know, we we want to step into the darkness, Lord. That, God, you really help us to keep fighting the good fight. But, Lord, I just pray, Father, for the times where you do res- reveal the sin that's in our lives. And, Father, would you help us to come to a place of confession, come to a place of repentance. I know that for some of us, we we like to avoid things. But, Lord, be it so that we can't avoid things, Lord. Um, be it so that we are truly, truly come to a place where we have to bow down and worship you and and cry out to you father because we know that god you are Mm. you are (laughs) wonderful you are faithful and just to forgive all our sins and you cleanse us of all wickedness and our sins lord and so lord would that be a daily prayer lord would that be a daily thing that we keep coming back to you lord we can't do life without you lord And so, Lord, um, this morning as we come to a time of worship, Father, may um, we really do come and cry out to you, Lord. May the next 40 days um, just really show us more about your redeeming love and how it compels us to action, that we keep walking in light, fellowshipping with you and fellowshipping with others. And may your redeeming love lead us and others closer to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm gonna pass the time over to to Young.